In times of trouble, you can find some of your greatest moments of intimacy with Almighty God. Imagine if you were one of those three that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And there's Jesus. Imagine the fellowship you and he would have. Would you open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. We're talking today on this subject of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. We wish more people had intimacy with God. There's a story about a a couple who got married and they were very much in love, but they got very busy with their jobs and their careers and their daily routines. And the bottom line is that they hardly found time to spend together. One evening, the woman came home to find that her husband had set up a candlelight dinner in the backyard. She was surprised, and she was touched by all the effort he had put into this candlelight dinner. They sat together under a sky full of stars, and they shared stories and laughter and a delicious meal. As the evening turned into night, they snuggled up to each other, and they watched the stars twinkle. This moment of intimacy was something that they had been missing. And it brought them even closer than before. That night they realized that even in the midst of busy lives, it was important to take time for each other and the moments of intimacy that made their relationship special. Now the word intimacy refers to the inmost, deepest relationship or friendship with someone. That's the idea behind intimacy. The word literally means to press into or to press together. That's literally what the root of the word intimacy means. Now, when we use the word intimacy, we usually use it to describe holding hands with someone you love or cuddling up with your partner or sharing secrets or personal thoughts with someone, engaging in deep conversations, sharing physical affection, spending quality time with someone you care about, expressing vulnerability with a loved one, sharing laughter and enjoying each other's company, showing appreciation and gratitude toward each other, supporting each other through difficult times, These are just words that sort of describe the idea of intimacy. But how do we have intimacy with Almighty God? This description I had just given you is often um, a description that we use with a person, someone physical, someone tangible. How do we have intimacy with an invisible God? That's the question. The Bible teaches us that it's not only possible to know God, but it's even possible to have intimate closeness with Him. There are people in the world who do not believe that. They believe that you can never know God, He's way out there, and He doesn't know you, you you can never know Him. And there are religious groups built around that concept. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is a personal God, an intimate God that we can know personally. 
It's a shame when people go through their lives with a concept of God that he's way out there, I'm way down here. Here's a bunch of do's and don'ts. Maybe that'll please him. Boy, there's, there's nothing there if you ask me as far as relationship. In Matthew chapter 11, with your Bible open there, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This word labor has that idea of slipping under a great burden. If you've ever felt a great burden in life, the Lord Jesus wants to be your friend. You can have some great fellowship with Jesus. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Only a personal, intimate God can do that. He says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke was the wooden bar they put across the shoulders of, say, two oxen when they would plow the fields. You get double horsepower that way. But the yoke kept them in step. And Jesus is sort of using that as an analogy. And he's saying, I'm in one side of the yoke. You get in the other, the two of us. And we'll go through life together. And if you feel your step slipping, I'll be right there to help you. And if you feel your strength, you know, waning, my strength will be there to help meet your need. This is his invitation. And it doesn't stop there. He says, take my oak upon you and learn of me. You can get to know him. Wonderful things about Jesus. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Boy, I wish more people in the world were like that. There are some people that are so unapproachable. There are some people that feel they're so high and mighty. They live on Snob Hill. Not Jesus. He says, ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy. Boy, not the devil's yoke. The devil's yoke is a burden. When, the devil, when you get yoked up with the devil, you're always the loser. He's always rubbing it in your face. He's always pressing you down. He's a hard taskmaster. Worse than what the Israelites had under the Egyptians back in the days of Moses. The devil's even worse. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Get in with me. Get in close with me. We'll have, a, we'll have a good life together. Intimacy with God is not a religious kind of moment. It's a way of life. Some people, they come to church once, once a week on Sunday and they come away feeling warm in their heart. They feel good. They feel something positive in their soul. And you know, that's good. They should feel that. You should feel better than when you came in. You should leave in better condition than when you first entered. So all that's good. But intimacy with God is not meant for just one hour a week. It's meant for every day. Every day. Can you imagine, husbands and wives, if you only could talk to each other one hour a week? That would be sort of like being in prison, wouldn't it? You get your one hour a week through a glass and a and a telephone, talk to your loved one for one hour a week. Boy, that's no way to live life, is it? God is inviting us here. And I can list for you at least three benefits of experiencing intimacy with God. Number one, it'll bring you peace and strength to your heart and wisdom to your mind. These are all things the Lord Jesus will give you. Number two, intimate fellowship with God will make you 
more like Jesus and less like the world, it'll make you more usable to God. He'll be able to use you to be a blessing to other people. And of course, he rewards that. And of course, number three, intimacy with God actually attracts people to Jesus Christ. Are you the kind of person that attracts people to Jesus? Or are you the kind of person that sort of repels people from Jesus? Boy, there's two opposites. And if you say, well, I don't know if I attract or I repel. I just want to be right in the middle and do nothing. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. Because either you are attracting people or you are repelling people. Either you are helping Jesus or you're helping the devil keep keep people away from Jesus. And so intimacy has far-reaching benefits in our lives. And without intimacy with God, your Christian life, listen to this, without intimacy with God, your Christian life will fizzle out to nothing. You may have started well, but if you do not cultivate intimacy with God, you will not finish well. The intimate times with God is what will make your Christian life wonderful and meaningful. You know, a husband and wife who lose their intimacy with each other, they end up being just friends, just friends. And given enough time, they're now going to become strangers living under the same roof. Do you know anyone like that? They've been married a long time, but they're not really in love. They have no intimacy. They just seem like two strangers living under the same roof. Isn't that a sad ending? to maybe what one, what at one time was a, a great beginning. You know, two young people that only had eyes for each other and they had moments of intimacy every day. What happened? Intimacy with God. Boy, that's the big payoff. After you come to know God as your Savior, it's intimacy with God. That's where you are going to find the payout. So, today we want to uh, talk about intimacy with God. We want to discover where Just where can we find this intimacy with God? And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Let's have a word of prayer first, and then we'll continue. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that when you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be saved, it wasn't just so we could be saved and then that's it, but so that we could be saved and have fellowship with the living God, the one true living God, the almighty God the maker of heaven and earth. Our Heavenly Father, help us today. Help every one of us. Open the eyes of our understanding. Please, Holy Spirit of God, warm our hearts to this truth of intimacy. Maybe there's someone here today, they've been saved for a long, long time. And it's been a long, long time since they've had closeness with you and intimacy with you. And maybe today their Christian life feels just kind of like ho-hum and they go through the routines, but there's, there's no excitement. The sparkle is gone. The fizzle has fizzled. Father, send us revival. Speak to our hearts today. Prevent our minds from wandering. Help us to focus in on this very important subject. Glorify yourself now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to suggest to you, you can find intimacy in a few different places. Number one is you'll find intimacy in the prayer closet. 
the prayer closet. For this, I'd like you to turn back in the book of Matthew to chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. And we find here the Lord Jesus teaching us about prayer from verse 5 on. And of course, we have here what we call the Lord's Prayer, getting down into verse 9. Our Father which art in heaven, he's teaching us how to pray. But if you go back to verse 6, he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. See that? And that's where we get the expression, the prayer closet. The closet is a small room where we would go in to get away from the world, to be close with God. The prayer closet is probably the best and most readily accessible place for you and I to experience intimacy with God. We can walk into his very presence in the prayer closet every day. Now, the Lord Jesus himself showed to us that this is absolutely true. He spent a lot of time alone in secret prayer with God. Before he made major decisions, such as choosing the twelve apostles, the Lord Jesus spent a long time in prayer. Before his arrest and his crucifixion, Jesus spent a long time alone with God in prayer, receiving strength for the ordeal. Again and again throughout uh, Bible history, uh, we find men and women getting alone with God and finding peace and strength and healing and wisdom and protection and victory. And on the list goes. Down through the years of Christian history, we find the same. Many saints of God, we find, had great intimacy and fellowship with God in their prayer closets. Now, the devil doesn't want you in your prayer closet, and he will try and tell you, ah, don't go in there, it's a dead, dry, boring place, you don't know what to do anyhow, besides, you don't have any extra room in your house, and you're very busy, you don't have any extra time. These are all just excuses, but they're effective. They keep a lot of Christian men and women out of the prayer closet. If I asked you, did you get alone with God this morning? How many of us could raise our hand and say yes? How many of us made the time, paid a sacrifice perhaps, to get alone with God? Be it for 10, 15, 30 minutes or something like that. Your prayer closet should be a quiet place, away from the hustle and bustle, away from people. Furnish your prayer closet with a place where you can kneel down or even lay on your face before God. Bring along your Bible because that's how God will speak with you. You read in your Bible. If you don't know where to start, start in the book of Psalms or you could start in the Gospel of John, something like that, or you can go to the book of Proverbs. You can start there and you can start reading. And, and as, as you read, pray, Lord, speak to my heart. And the book of Psalms is really a wonderful place to begin. Book of Proverbs 2 will bless you in so many ways. And let God speak to you. Let him talk to you. When that's done, then it's your turn to talk with God. So you want to enter into your prayer closet early in the morning before you go out of the house, before you interact with people. Read from God's word and then pray to him with words of love and thankfulness. Confess your sins and your faults and your failures to God. Ask for his cleansing. Ask for his forgiveness. Bring your burdens to his attention. 
Learn to pray for others. Even weep for some people. Pray for our country of Canada. I, I have no proof of what I'm going to say, but I think we are on the verge of a meltdown here in Canada. It just seems like that. You know, if you would get into your prayer closet and start spending some time with the Lord first thing in the morning, it won't be long before you really begin to experience the sweetness of his fellowship. The Lord said, come unto me. That's an invitation to all of us. All right, that brings us to our next point. Where are we going to find intimacy? What is point number one? Who can tell me? What is it? The prayer closet. Let's say it together. The prayer closet. Remember, you're going to be tested on this after the sermon. (laughs) Point number two. Where can we find intimacy with God? This might surprise you, but in times of trouble. In times of trouble. Now, one of the best places I can show you this is in the Old Testament if you go to the book of Daniel. So Daniel is on the right-hand side of Psalms and Proverbs, and you have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then, lo and behold, you have... Here he comes, wait for it. Daniel. Chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. You've all heard about the, uh, the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now that, those were their Babylonian names. They weren't the names that given, given to them by their mummies and daddies. Those are the Babylonian names that we know them by. And an easy way, if you have trouble remembering those names, is uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So that's just a little bit of nonsense, but it might help you remember those three names if you have trouble. Chapter 3, we have the most powerful man in all the known world back then who made this giant statue, and he wanted everyone to bow down to it. Now, he thought he was doing something good. You know, the Bible says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And certainly idolatry is the way of death. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon didn't know that. He was about to learn it though. God had to put him through some humbling circumstance. But here at this point, he was still the grand poobah, the, the biggest of the big. And he said, bow and you bow. Except these three guys didn't. And you remember the story. We have the fiery furnace here. So we come down to verse, uh, it's a really exciting story. Wow, if you've never read the book of Daniel, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need to read the book of Daniel. Well, we come down here to verse 23. We find that the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fell down bound. They bound them with ropes into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So they, they got thrown in. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar, remember that's the king of Babylon, was astonished and rose up. I mean, it means he was like thunderstruck. He was amazed. He rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men 
bound into the midst of the fire. They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Verse 25, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar could see the three men that he had thrown in there. He could make out their image. He could see the three. But this fourth one looked different. And in your King James Bible, you'll notice it's capitalized Son of God. Most every conservative Bible scholar I know of who's ever written a book, a commentary on Daniel, all believe that's Jesus, the pre-incarnate Son of God. And what we're saying is this. In times of trouble, you can find some of your greatest fellowship with God. You really can. Now, our three Hebrew men here, they took a stand for God. They weren't wimpy believers. They stood and they would not bow to a, a, an idol, a statue. We live in a wonderful country, country of Canada. But the politics are changing. It may come to pass where the politicians pass some laws that we have to say, no, we can't. We can't obey that. Now, one law that is common in several countries of the world today is no soul winning, no evangelism. You can't try to convert someone from some other religion to Christianity. Now, it's not that way yet in Canada, but that could happen. And if that law ever comes into effect, it's a law we can't obey because the Lord gave us a command. We're to go into all the world. That includes Canada. Canada needs Jesus, even though Canada may not realize it. Canada knows it's got problems. It's got problems coming out of its eyeballs. But it doesn't realize that Jesus is the answer. Over here on this wall, we have some figures, some numbers over here. Uh, this map is a representation of the city of Surrey. There's 650,000 people apparently live in Surrey. We call it our Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1-8. And our job is to try and reach our city. We can't reach other cities in the world because we're not there. That's why we need missionaries to go where we can't go. If you look on this wall over here, you see we've got our missionaries that we support all over the world. Um, this is a bit of a work in progress. We're remodeling. We've got a, a large screen TV that we're going to be able to show you the world and the the country and the province and the city or town of where each missionary is. You get a lot of information over there, but it's coming, so bear with us. On this wall over here underneath the, the flags of Canada, that's where we have our Canadian missionaries, which are still sitting in the picture frames, a big stack of them. We've got to get them up there on the wall. But we've been very busy, so bear with us. It'll get done. But all this is part of soul winning. It's what the Lord has called us to. And we, we cannot obey any law that says you will not try to convert or proselytize from one religion to your own. If that ever happened in Canada, you know, under penalty of, of imprisonment or whatever, 
then we'd have to say, well, folks, some of us are going to end up in prison. We're going to have a prison ministry. And if we can't witness on the streets, we'll be witnessing to the inmates in prison. The Lord knows. He knows what's right. Right now, we still have great freedoms in this country. In some countries of the world, you do not have this kind of freedom. We could not do what we're doing in some countries of the world. But we can here, and we're very thankful to God for it. But here, our three Hebrew friends here took a stand for God, and they were persecuted because of it. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted at work, and they find out you're a Christian, and oh, they make fun of you, dance around you, call you Holy Joe, because they noticed in the lunchroom you bowed your head and prayed before you had your meal. The rest of them just kind of, you know, like dogs would, but, you know, you honored God and bowed your head. And now you're being persecuted for it. Well, God will bless you for it. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The Lord Jesus says, rejoice, be, be happy, get excited. Great is your reward in heaven. So remember, we're just passing through this earth. This is not our home. Our home is up yonder. We're on a mission, all of us. We're just, you know, serving the Lord till he calls us home. This is the mission field at work and at school, in the grocery store. So here the three men were living for God and persecuted. They were cast alive into a burning furnace. Everyone thought that's the end. They're going to die. They probably thought that themselves. Because no one else ever had d done what they did, experienced what they experienced. The king thought, well, that's the end of them. I'll make an example of those three and the rest will fear. But that's not what happened. God says, no, you won't. Because what God did was something incredible. And the king saw the three of them walking around and a fourth one. Wow. I don't know what the son of God looks like, but that's got to be him. So the someone else in the fiery furnace was, I believe, the Lord Jesus. And they had intimacy with God. You know, the king finally asked him, please guys, would you come out? Maybe they didn't want to come out. Maybe they were having the time of their life with Jesus. Maybe Jesus had to say, we'll meet again. You go on out there, talk to the king. Oh, okay, Lord. And so they had to leave Jesus behind. They came out of the fiery furnace and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. The only thing that burned was the ropes that they tied them up with. They were gone. But the rest of their clothing, everything. Wow, it was a miracle. God does miracles. He sure did one here. And the king learned a lesson and he made a decree. No one can deliver from the fiery furnace like the God of make the bed, shake, shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. <laughs> this God is the God and everyone will honor and worship him. Boy, what a political statement that made that day. Wow. And so they experienced intimacy with God in times of trouble. And so will you and so will I. The same is true today. We go through times of trouble. God tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're getting a little persecution at home, at work, at school, 
because you're trying to live for Jesus, that's a good thing. That's a good sign that you're doing something right. So be encouraged. God gives us many promises that he'll never leave us. The Lord never left those three Hebrew men. Not even in the fiery furnace. And God will never leave you or me. As we live for him, he'll never leave us in times of trouble. Listen to this, Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jeremiah 42, 11, Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Isaiah 41.10 Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I remember some 48 years ago when I was first learning that verse. I had never learned it before. And a friend and I were trying to memorize it together. And here's what we did. Here's how we memorized it. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yay! I will help thee. Yay! I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And it was just a little bit of levity, but it helped us remember the verse. Yay! God will never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 13, 5, that's his promise. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 And Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God ain't going to forsake us. He is with us. And in times of trouble, you will find intimacy with God if you look for it. The devil is going to try and discourage you. Get your eyes off Jesus. But you encourage yourself and remind yourself that he has not forsaken me. He knows what I'm going through. It's not like I took out a gun and started blasting away in a public square. I mean, I just simply bowed my head and prayed and thanked God for my food, and now I'm suffering for it. Blessed are ye. He has not forsaken you, and he will honor that in your life. Many a godly saint has found incredible intimacy with God as they walk through dark times. King David wrote in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Sort of the picture of the sheep, glad for the shepherd. You know, we got a little dog, Charlie. And Charlie is a Chinese shih tzu. It means a lion. Charlie is not a lion. Charlie is a lamb. Charlie is afraid of his own dog dish. And we have to stand there with him. But you know, he takes great comfort when his mommy and daddy are right there with him when it comes time for breakfast. And we encourage him, that's a good boy, Charlie. Oh, eat it up, that's a boy. Good for you, hooray! And Charlie is encouraged. He feels safe when we're standing there 
beside the scary dog dish. Charlie's not the only dog in the world afraid of his own dog dish. I discovered that there's a lot of dogs afraid of their own dog dish. Anyhow, that's a sermon for another day. Elijah the prophet got depressed and got scared. He ended up in trouble. All he was doing was serving the Lord and he ended up in big trouble. He was persecuted by Ahab's wife Jezebel. Mom, dad, don't ever name your daughter Jezebel. Oh, pastor, what if it's too late? I don't know. Come and talk to me after. We'll come up with some idea. Anyhow, Jezebel wrote, wrote a letter. Today we'd say she sent him a, an email. <laughs> she said, I'm going to kill you a million times. Well, that was the straw that broke Elijah's back. He took off, depressed, scared, maybe upset, angry, tired, hungry, <laughs> everything. Just having a bad day. But he ended up in a cave, if you know the story, and that's where he met God. I mean, he, he knew God, but he really met God intimately in that cave. The Apostle Paul found intimacy with God many times in the afflictions that he suffered. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he wrote these words, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being made conformable to his suffering. Even Jesus on the cross found intimacy with God the Father after his ordeal as he prayed, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Many pastors and evangelists, missionaries, will tell you of times of trouble they went through only to find incredible closeness with Almighty God. There's a, a Chinese Christian man. He's known as Brother Yun, Y-U-N. And he, they call him the Heavenly Man. He was born in 1958 in a small village in China. He became a Christian at the age of 16. He spent many years traveling through China preaching and sharing his testimony and encouraging others to come to know Christ despite the danger and persecution that often accompany these activities, because China is a communist country. And the last figure that I read, there's something like 50 million religious people being persecuted in China. I think probably most of them would be Christians, born-again Christians. In the late 1970s, during the communist purge of the churches in China, Brother Yun was arrested and imprisoned for his beliefs. He spent several years in prison, enduring torture and abuse, but he refused to renounce his faith. Eventually, he was released, but he knew he couldn't continue his missionary work in China without risking further arrest and oppression. So in 1983, Brother Yun decided to flee China and seek refuge in the West. He and his family traveled on foot, by bike, by train, often in disguise to avoid detection and capture by the Chinese communist authorities. At one point, they were pursued by the police. Brother Yun climbed up a tree to escape his captors. They were running around below with their rifles and bayonets looking for him. All they had to do was look up. And there he was in the tree, but no one thought of looking up for some strange reason. And he remained up that tree for several hours 
experiencing the greatest fellowship he'd ever experienced with God. The greatest closeness, the greatest intimacy. He did not want to come down from that tree. But after several hours, his his pursuers had gone. And so he came down the tree and he... They gave up the search and he moved on. After months of travel and danger, Brother Yoon and his family arrived in Hong Kong where they were granted political asylum. They eventually settled in Germany and then in the United States where Brother Yoon continued his missionary work and became a well-known speaker and author. And I believe he said he would give anything if only he could be back up that tree with God. You see what I'm saying? In times of trouble, you can find some of your greatest moments of intimacy with Almighty God. Imagine if you were one of those three that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And there's Jesus. Imagine the fellowship you and he would have. Listen, Christian, remember, you too will find joyous moments in nearness of God as you go through trials and testings and afflictions as a Christian. Remember the story of the tea bag. The tea bag, the flavor is only brought out in the hot water. Right? Jesus said, come unto me. Now finally, we have to finish this up. Number three is you will find intimacy with God in times of chastening. Chastening is different from trouble. Trouble is something the devil is trying to bring into your life. Chastening is something God is allowing into your life for a reason. For this, I'd like you to go to the New Testament, close to the end, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. All right, a little quiz. You'll find intimacy. What's the first place you'll find intimacy? Prayer closet. Good for you. Second place you'll find intimacy? Times of trouble. And of course, number three, it's times of chastening. Your Bible open at Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's the promise of God as a father, to correct bad behavior in us. And you might be thinking, bad behavior? What kind of bad behavior would someone like me? I'm a pretty good guy. I don't murder. I don't take drugs. Uh, What kind of bad behavior? Well, there's a lot of things God has to work on in our lives. Would you say you are as as perfect as Jesus? Are you as perfect as Jesus? Oh, not me. I'm not as perfect as Jesus. You're absolutely right. And yet, you don't murder and you don't take drugs. So what else is there? Well, there must be things that maybe you don't even see, you're not even aware of. Maybe you've got some bad habits that you just do naturally. You never even stop to think. Maybe they're offensive to God. Maybe you're offending other people with some bad habits. That's where chastening comes in. Have you ever heard of the woodshed? The woodshed? The woodshed 
was a small outdoor structure, a little tiny building, and they would chop wood and store it in there, and it's called the woodshed. Close the door. Whenever they needed wood for the fireplace, they'd come to the woodshed and take out a few logs and put them in the fireplace. Or maybe they had a wood-burning stove and they'd, they'd put them in there and they'd, they'd get heat for their cooking or heat to warm their house. Well, modern homes use furnaces and things like that. And so the need for a woodshed has kind of gone out the window. Although many farms still have woodsheds today. But many years ago, another use of the woodshed was a place to discipline the kids when they really needed it. Dad would escort his preteen rebellious son to the woodshed and within a few minutes discipline was applied. The rebellious spirit was quenched. Tears of love would flow between dad and his son. They would hug, often pray. All was forgiven. They'd come back into the home and enjoy a wonderful family life. Hence, a trip to the woodshed meant to be disciplined over some rebellious attitude. Now, it's not politically correct in Canada to talk about correction these days. I get it. But listen to me. God doesn't care about the laws of Canada so much. God is not bound by the laws of any nation. And God still uses his own type of woodshed to correct the faults and sins and bad behavior in his children. If I asked you, are you saved? Are you born again? Is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life? Are you on your way to heaven? Do you know for sure heaven is your home? And you raise your hand, Pastor, I know I'm saved. Then you're God's child. And God has an invested interest in you. And that's a wonderful thing. And God in his wisdom knows what needs to be corrected. Maybe there's some bad way of thinking or some bad habits or maybe you're a promise breaker or who knows maybe you got a dirty mouth or so i don't know but whatever it is god in his love will look after it you can be sure because he's a loving heavenly father and he has his ways of doing things well uh back in 1992 an older christian man he was a businessman his name is stanley tam T-A-M, Stanley Tam. He wrote the book, God Owns My Business. He gave his business to God so that God would use it to be able to support missionaries and do great things around the world. And God did it. You got to read that book, God Owns My Business. Boy, what an encouragement that'll be to you. Well, anyhow, years later in 1992, he wrote this book, God's Woodshed, The Power of a Cleansed Life. So a couple of years later, I got a hold of this book and I read it. Wow. I called up Stanley Tam on the phone. I actually got to speak to him. And I think he was in his late 80s or early 90s or something at the time. I forget. But definitely older than me. And he was telling me about this book of his, God's Woodshed. And he said it's based on his own personal life how God had to chasten him many times. And then he said to me on the phone, he said, 10 trips to the woodshed. There were 10 chapters in his book. <laughs> 10 trips to the woodshed. Stanley Tam was a very godly man, very gentle man, 
a Christian man, a soul winner, a man who cared about the, the lost people of the world and was doing something about it. Stanley Tam. With the Lord now. He died a number of years ago. But yes, God loves us so much that he will chasten us when we need it in order to make us pure. His chastening might include, not always, but it might include physical discomfort or disease. It doesn't mean every time you get sick or have a sniffle, God is chastening you. It doesn't mean that. But God can bring some big sickness into your life as a means of getting your attention and chastening you. Or it could be personal loneliness. God could pull people away from you. You end up alone. Or it could be financial debt that God has allowed you to dig your hole deep and you are in debt and you can't claw your way out. Then God has you right where he wants you and he's got your attention and he can chasten and correct and God can bring you out of that hole. That way God gets the glory. By the way, that may be an excellent reason why you should not pay off the debts of someone else. You should not be quick to say, okay, here, I'll, I'll pay your debts for you. Because God may be chastening that person. And when you rush in, you may be kind of short-circuiting what God's trying to do. Now, I, I knew a preacher who told a story of a young, la- a young, reasonably young lady, middle-aged lady, that he knew, to me that's young, that he knew, and uh, she had just experienced a divorce. And so uh, she explained to him that, uh, she said, my husband was in business, and the business was faltering, and so I, I left everything, and I came in there, and I worked 10-hour days, 12-hour days, and I helped bring things back together, And I turned the business into a success so that it was making a lot of money now. And then the next thing I know is that my husband left me for another woman. And apparently what God was doing was chastening that man to get his attention. She didn't know. She rushed in there with all kinds of help and everything and brought things back to profitability. And now he had all this money And he went ahead and divorced her. Took off with his other woman. Sometimes God uses debt, financial debt, in order to chasten someone. That's all I'm trying to say there. So we're saying this, that God loves us and will do whatever is necessary to correct us. The purpose of chastening is to make us more like Jesus. And perhaps, here's a thought, it's only a thought. Perhaps if we would spend more time in our prayer closets every morning, God would have to chasten us less. It's only a thought. Spend more time in the morning with God. Learn the lessons in the prayer closet rather than in the woodshed. It's only a thought. But during a woodshed experience, you really can experience comfort and closeness and nearness and intimacy with God. Your heavenly Father. He says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Well, God has chastened me many times. I can't begin to tell you how many times God has chastened me in my life over the last 48 and a half years of being a Christian. I I can't begin to number 
the trips to the woodshed that God has done in my life. And you know what? I'm not done. You know, this week or tomorrow, God may say, come son, I need to talk with you in the woodshed. Okay, Lord, lead the way. I'm not done. And I don't think you are either. We can find incredible intimacy with God, even in times of the woodshed, because Jesus said, come unto me. Listen, our time is up next Sunday morning. I want to look at three more amazing places where you can find intimacy with God. And I'll bet you there's one of them in there that you never even thought of. That's going to be for next Sunday morning. But to conclude things today, maybe, just maybe, you've been missing out on the nearness of God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years. But where's the intimacy? Uh, Where's the closeness like you used to have with the Lord Jesus? It may have gotten left behind. And you need to ask the Lord for intimacy today. You need to tell him, Lord, I guess I've gotten so busy. Would you forgive me? I want to be intimate with you again, Lord. Do you remember reading in the book of Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus wrote a wonderful letter to a wonderful church called the church at Ephesus. They were doing wonderful things. But then Jesus said, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. The first love is Jesus. And those Christians had gotten so busy, they were doctrinally correct, they were crossing their T's and dotting their I's, but they left off the intimacy. There was no more intimacy with Jesus. And that can happen to me or to you. I know it happens to men in the ministry. At times in my life, 42 years in the ministry, it's happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe those wonderful moments of intimacy now are long in your past. It's been a while. You need to get back to intimacy with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, your Christian life is going to fizzle out. You're just going to kind of become friends with Jesus. And then later, strangers with Jesus. Unless you cultivate intimacy. Unless you do that. It'll happen to husbands and wives. And it'll happen to Christians and their Savior. If you're here today and you don't know for 100% sure that heaven is your home. If you're not sure, you can fix that today. You can start intimacy with Jesus Christ. By coming to him, asking him to be your Savior. Forgiving all of your sins. His invitation is knocking on your heart's door. If you'll open your heart's door, he'll be glad to come in to forgive your sin, your load of guilt. He'll look after it. He'll be your Savior if you will come to him today. Would you stand to your feet, please? We'll have a moment of prayer. And I'd like to invite you on our invitation to come for just a minute and talk to Jesus. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.